Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Kelsey Wiggins, a registered dietitian and seed to table manager for Gilmore City Bradgate Schools in Iowa. You may be wondering what a seed to table manager is, and so was I. When my previous podcast guest, Ann Parker, mentioned Kelsey for the podcast. This is a great conversation about how a registered dietitian can make an impact with children when it comes to food, health, and being an active teacher in schools about agriculture and where food comes from. Kelsey is doing the most amazing things at her school, branching out much farther than just a school garden, including grant writing, a teaching kitchen, and a new upcoming Monarch Butterfly House. Please enjoy my conversation with Kelsey. Well, I'm excited for you to tell me about all the things dietetic related to you and how you kind of got interested in the field and then just all the cool things that you are doing. Sure. So why don't you take me back to when you kind of had diet being a dietitian on your radar and how you kind of got interested in it? Yeah. So thanks again for having me this morning. Um, So I first got interested in dietetics, I think kind of in high school more so when I was in 4-H and I always had done um, family consumer science projects um, for 4-H. And so I wanted to attribute that to my mom because she really helped me, you know, branch out and say like, oh, well, what about recipe substitutions and the chemistry behind it? And how can we make cookies better for you and still look great? And so um, doing a lot of 4-H projects really helped me with that. And then further along in high school, I thought it was really important to get fueled up, especially for volleyball tournaments. And so I really started looking into the nutrition behind, um, you know, what what do I need in order to perform my best in athletics? And especially for volleyball, that was one of the things that I felt like I was good at. And um, I wanted to maybe pursue in college and um, then a little bit further down the road, <laughs> In a multi-step story, my dad, in one of his farming magazines, he saw that dietitians were going to be, you know, one of the most needed professions coming up, especially with all the baby boomers, you know, declining in their health as they get older and um, really needing dietitians to help with that. So kind of family, 4-H and sports driven, I would say, is how I got involved in dietetics. And here I am today working at Gilmore City Bradgate and... Yeah, a lot more stories along the way for that, too. So, Well, that's interesting. I think it's always interesting about that 4-H connection because mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people that don't experience 4-H, maybe you can talk a little bit about like 4-H is very much, you know, kind of just all those good basic skills that we don't probably get to learn a lot if you're not participating in 4-H or maybe don't have all those options where you live. So mm-hmm. maybe just kind of share like a little bit more about 4-H and how that kind of helped you yeah. know, thinking about recipes and cooking and things like that. Sure. So I think for me, 4-H was a way for me to pursue my passion. So um, for whatever reason, I think, you know, we got satellite TV at our house, which was a big deal. Um, and I feel like I was <laughs> no, always watching. It is. It is. I was, you know, lived out in the country all my life. And I thought it was really cool to watch all these different cooking shows and things. And um, I got really interested in 
nutrition and grading recipes and things like that. Um, but 4-H really allowed me to follow that passion and just pursue whatever I wanted. You know, you look in the 4-H book and you find a category um, for whatever you might be interested in, say it's photography or creative arts or whatever it might be. Um, you can find a category that you're interested in and then pick a project that you want to do within that category and you create a write-up, tell the judges about everything that you, like what your goal was, how you work towards that goal, um, what were the difficulties of your project and what you're hoping to learn next year. Um, and I just think that was a really good way for me to, you know, not only do a project, but think about, you know, all the different possibilities that I could you know, dive into and really explore and think about future years is, you know, I could lay out a plan for three, four years down the road and say, you know, next year mm -hmm. I really want to, to do a project about bread and the following year I want to do um, recipe substitutions and the following year I want to learn about um, what it, it takes to be a dietitian. So I thought that was really important for my career. And then, um, you know, FCCLA was an important part too. And so we had both of those chapters um, within our school, I guess 4-H is more of a community outreach where we did a lot of community service activities too. And we, I, I guess I had livestock projects too, but, um, you know, it just allows you to take, take hold of what you're really passionate of. And FCCLA does too, where you do star projects. And um, we did a lot of community things for that too. And um, yeah, I just think it's really important to be involved wherever you're at. And it started young because the more you learn at a young age, the more proficient you can become, you know, as you advance towards your professional career. Absolutely. That's, and I think that's, I mean, it's like research for your profession mm -hmm. at starting at a young age. And I think that just probably sets you apart. I wish I would have had 4-H mm -hmm. growing up. I know it was there. I just never participated in it. Uh -huh. and it probably just wasn't on my radar, but I think that's so, such a great, kind of like you said, community, you just do so many, like there are stuff, you do work with stock, you do work with animals, mm -hmm. but there are lots of other great, yeah. great things that you yeah, can definitely. do. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, moving to Humboldt County in Northwest Iowa and, you know, getting this job at Gilmore City Bradgate, I thought, you know, kind of same thing as 4-H was really important and influential in my life. And so when I moved here, that was like one of the first things is I, you know, kind of thought, why don't these kids why aren't they in 4-H around here? And so I actually started a Clover Kids and 4-H club at the, at the school. And uh, since then, you know, I've asked other adults to help me with it. But, um, you know, we have, well, this year we have eight kids in 4-H, which is small. But for our community, there was none before. Um, and then we have that's about awesome. 19 Clover Kids. So that's under third grade. Um, so that's kindergarten to third grade. And then fourth grade and up is 4-H. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like, you know, we're just gaining momentum and it's, you know, people are really seeing what difference it makes in the community. And um, the kids are starting to realize that 4-H projects are actually really cool and they help me learn lots of things. And so <laughs> I feel like that's really, yeah. really neat for them to see. Is it hard to start like as a, you know, a food service expert in a school system? Is it hard to start something like that in a school that doesn't have it? Um, yes and no. I feel like our school board has always been really supportive of everything that um, I brought to the table, which is something I'm really thankful for. And I know that not all school districts are that way. Um, but, you know, I did start it as like, okay, we're doing this right after school as like an after school program. And 
Um, so it's now kind of evolved to less of a school-based thing um, and more just community. Because now we have kids that are going to different schools because they we have kindergarten through sixth grade at our building. And so there's kids that are older than that. And they want to be part of our club, too. And so we just had to accommodate that. So it's less of a school thing and more of a community thing. But um, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel good for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's so cool. I would have loved someone like you in my community. I'd have been like, yeah, this is awesome. Thanks. Thank you. So when you were in, so you kind of, so when did you decide what school college you were going to go to for dietetics? How did that process go mm-hmm. for you? I really decided my senior year of high school where I was going to go to college. I was asked by, you know, several smaller schools to play volleyball. Um, and I just decided, I was like, okay, well, my volleyball career could end after four years. And what am I going to do with my life after that? And so that's when I decided that I was like, okay, I need a, I need a career, not necessarily just something fun to do for four years. Um, and so I decided to go to Iowa state, um, and pursue dietetics there. And yeah, I'm, I don't regret that decision. Uh, you know, I don't think that I missed out on volleyball or, um, anything like that. I do wish I would have, tried out for the Iowa state volleyball team at some point in time, just to see, you know, if I could have made it, but yeah. Um, yeah. I just think it's better to pick a career choice than do something that you're good at in high school. Um, you know, pick up, pick up your strengths that are, that you have to do a job, not necessarily, you know, what your athletic capability is because I also got injured my sophomore year of high school. And that's what I feel like kind of opened my eyes to that too. It's like, Oh, my, sports career could be done in an instant and I have nothing else to fall back on. And so that really changed my mindset too of look at how many other opportunities there are for a career, but not necessarily for sport. And then probably the schools that were looking at you for volleyball really didn't have dietetics as an option to study. Right. It was more of like nursing or, um, you know, just other health sure. careers that weren't, you know, like medical drawing or or things like that. And I was like, that's not really what I'm interested in. And yes, it would fit for the four years, but then what am I going to do with that career afterwards? And would I enjoy my time doing that? Right. right. Um, so that was a choice I had to make. And I guess that's part of growing up. And, <laughs> and you can look back and be like, oh, I should have just did a couple things different, but that's okay. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's right. like you have those feelings of, I wish I could have, would have, but then you're like, now I'm here mm-hmm. and I'm really happy from what all happened. Mm-hmm. So that's another good thing. Right. And I, I feel like too, um, one of my professors that I had in my master's degree at Southern Illinois university, she always said, you shouldn't should on yourself. Like you shouldn't look back and say, Oh, I should have done that. You should always put your best foot forward and do the best you can for the future. And you shouldn't should on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You said that very eloquently. So (laughs) kind of messed that up maybe on occasion with this. That's uh-huh. really good advice, yeah. though, because, yeah, you can mm-hmm. beat yourself up and that doesn't, it doesn't mm-hmm. anywhere. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, that's, I'm writing that one down. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give the credit to Lynn Gill for that one. She's very, you know, um, we really enjoyed having her um, for our master's degree classes and she was very influential, I think, for a lot of us just uh, moving forward and how do we get to where we want to go for our professional careers and yeah i just really appreciated her in our our path there don't you love those those professors and those people that just mm-hmm. maybe just like spark something in you and they're like oh yeah 
she gets it. I get mm-hmm. her. And it all makes sense more when you're mm-hmm. with those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hope to be one of those people too. Or, and I hope to, I'm that way to some elementary school students too, that I say something that they really latch onto and they want to live their life by. But I don't know if I am right now. I mean, elementary school kids are kind of shy about that kind of stuff and they don't want to admit that uh, some adult is telling me things that I actually need yeah. to know. <laughs> they don't want to admit so, that. But I hope yet. that I'm making an impact. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that won't come until you're there when a full cycle. Have you been, because you haven't been there a full cycle of kids. So you, you know, you'll probably have those moments mm-hmm. as you get into it a little bit farther when they're older and they're like, I remember when you did this and mm-hmm. it was so awesome. Mm-hmm. I learned from you. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping so. But yeah, the current kids that I had my first year, they are now in, well, I had, I did some things with the preschool my first year. And so they're in kindergarten now and the other kids are in second grade. So just seeing them evolve, has been pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing how everybody's progressed. So that's always really neat to see people, see people grow up. So you went to Iowa State. Did you go directly into your master's program then? Or did you do, was it a combined program? It was a combined program. Yep. So it was the dietetic internship and the master's degree in two years. Um, So I went right from Iowa State in 2014, graduated in May, and went right down to Carbondale and um, finished my degree in internship in the fall of 2016. And then I went right down to Humboldt County and started doing my job at Gilmore City Bradgate immediately after I was done. Wow. Like so. two days, one day, or did you have a little break? <laughs> um, it was like three days, I think, oh, <laughs> before I had to report for <laughs> report for duty. So I was under all of our paperwork for finishing the program um, in Carbondale and then, you know, moved up here and I think I started... You know, we got done with that on maybe a Wednesday or Thursday. I think I started on that Monday or Tuesday. Oh, my gosh. Have you always had yeah. a school kind of environment on your radar? I don't think so. No. no. Um, it just kind of was a blessing in disguise, I feel like. Um, so my now husband's family um, lives up here in the area, and they saw the ad in the paper for this job that I'm currently at. And, you know, um, my father-in-law now, he said... I think you'd be really good at this job, you know, influencing kids on, you know, what they're eating and how they're growing food. And I think you'd be really good at that. And um, I applied for that job and I got hired right away. And yeah, the rest is history. But um, that's exciting. How big is the area? Mm-hmm. Like how how many kids are in your community? Because it is a combined mm-hmm. school. So it's a consolidated school. So it must have mm-hmm. a few communities that are part yeah. of it. It's small, I will say. <laughs> it's very small. Um, so there's kindergarten through sixth grade. There's 89 kids, roughly. Um, depends on the day. I feel like who moves in and out of the district because we have very low poverty in our area. And so I just feel like, you know, people come because it's affordable housing. And then once they feel like they can make it, they kind of move on. Okay. Or vice versa. If they, you know, feel like they can't make it in another area, they move in and they stick around for a few years and then maybe they'll transfer out. But um, so there's 89 kids K through six, um, but we do have increasing enrollment coming in four year old preschool. We have 20 kids there and then another, Oh, I think 23 or 26 and three year old preschool. So the class sizes are getting bigger, which is encouraging, Yeah, um, but it's still small for, you know, districts in Iowa when you think about it. And then when the kids get to seventh grade, they transfer to West Bend Mallard um, and they play, 
eight man football just for an idea of class size. Oh, wow. Um, and so they're, they're smaller than a one, a school. Mm-hmm. So that is very small. Did you, did you grow yeah. up in a small community? I did. So yeah. I went to North Tama high school, just South of Waterloo, about 45 minutes. And that was a one, a school at the time I graduated with 55 kids in my class. Okay. Um, and so I didn't think I was ever going to, you know, move back to a small community and do that. I was kind of had like Des Moines and Ames on my radar. It's like, that's where I want to live and what I want to do. It's always something going on. um, But it just, that's not the direction that God was pulling me in. And so we just, you know, just follow that path and do what's provided in front of you, I guess. Absolutely. Well, I think as, as our profession, I know that so many people struggle with finding that first job or finding a job just in general. And we are, most Mm -hmm. people are always looking at those bigger city communities, but there are these small communities that need dietitians. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's great that you did take the leap and decided to move back to a small community and maybe getting other people thinking about that, that it's not a bad Mm -hmm. deal to move into these small communities. Mm -hmm. Because obviously you're enjoying it and you're, you probably um, feel that you have maybe a little bit more freedom and more, more influence being in a small community mm-hmm. as a dietitian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely leeway to, you know, um, try things out. And if it doesn't work out, you're not um, losing a bunch of, you know, not, you're not losing a bunch of money because you didn't enroll enough people in a certain program or things like that. I mean, you do have a little bit more freedom and trying new things and to be a bit of an entrepreneur. And I think that's important too, when you're approaching any kind of a community that you want to make a change in is to, come from kind of an entrepreneurial standpoint and say what things have or haven't been done here and what things work well in communities with a similar size or even, you know, maybe not similar size. And what do you want to strive for to see in your community? Um, You know, I think to over on the Eastern Northeastern side of the state, they're doing a lot of great things with community nutrition and um, just really getting people involved in wellness. And I think that's kind of, my push is like, man, I'd really like to see that type of community here in Northwestern Iowa and to really see that impact grow. Um, and so I try to, you know, peek in and see what they're doing and is there anything I can replicate or maybe tweak a little bit to see if it'll work better for our community. Um, so how many people it's live nice in to have that community? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I say how many people live in that community? Oh, great question. Um, I think with a lot of small towns, um, it's very similar um, that the population is dying out as it as time goes on. Mm -hmm. And um, but I don't I think there's around 480 people that live there in Gilmore City directly. But we have a lot of people that transfer in from Humboldt and Pocahontas as well. And then some people come down from West Bend to bring their kids to Gilmore City. too. But around that almost 500 mark but um i don't know that's growing i think it's just kind of staying steady sure so -hmm. are you well and i think about and i ask that question because i feel like in those small communities you probably get recognized pretty easily like you are the do you have like a title with your job like do they say hey you're the nutrition lady or you you're the you know in a small community i feel like you have such a good identity with your community Mm mm-hmm yeah, so my official title with the school is Seed to Table Manager. So it's like growing seeds and bringing food to the table. Um, and that's my official title. Um, 
I'm not, I would say people don't understand in our community what a registered dietitian does, but I'm trying to bring awareness to that and that like all these things I'm doing is what a registered dietitian could do and just providing a lot of, you know, nutritional background and um, making sure people understand where their food comes from and how it's grown. I feel like those are all things a dietitian does, but a lot of times we don't hear about that side of dietetics. And so I'm trying to bring light that as well. I think that's so so see to table manager. That is really interesting. I mean, like that's very mm-hmm. did, mm-hmm. and did, who I wonder who came up with that. <laughs> you know, like yeah, good question. Yeah, so I didn't come up with this idea at all. Um, it was actually a group of teachers and our superintendent um, Jeff Herzberg, who had he's very active on Twitter, and so I feel like he found this school. Um, it's called the Muse M U S E School in California, in Calabasas, California kind of a suburb of Los Angeles. And um, so he noted that this school was doing things like passion projects for their kids and having a lot more outdoor activities. And they had a gardening program and they had a seat to table manager. um, And his name was Paul Hudak. And um, so then he kind of spread the word to the teachers on the staff at the time. And they kind of decided that you know, we have some of the most fertile ground mm-hmm. in all of the United States. Why don't we have a gardening program? And so that's what I feel like really sparked the interest of the people at the school. And they really wanted more hands-on learning. And how do we apply the, um, the you know, what the kids need to learn in class and standards? And, and how do we apply that to what's actually being done rather than giving them a worksheet to teach them what they need to learn? Allowing them to dive in and really explore what those standards mean. And so that's where they came up with the idea of having a seat to table manager. That's so, that is so forward thinking. I am like impressed. That's amazing. (laughs) I feel like we do a lot of things that are progressive and we, you know, even though we're a small school, I feel like we're not afraid to try new things. And, you know, this passion project adventure has been, um, a struggle at times. And I feel like, you know, the more that we try it out, the better it's going to be. And the more schools that we see doing similar things, you know, the more that we can adapt what we're doing at the school too. But yeah, I feel like this school is very progressive and um, kind of the motto that we're going by is um, new school versus old school or bold school versus old school. And um, so I feel like we're really trying to embrace that at Gilmore City Bradgate. That's awesome. Okay, so you have to share all the awesome things that you're doing because I know um, our connection, Anne Parker, shared that you mm-hmm. were doing some really creative and interesting things with kids and with food. And so please kind of tell me how that mm-hmm. all kind of transpired for you over the years that you've been there. Sure. So um, kind of the first year that I came here, they made a spot in the schedule to have a gardening specials class. And so just like they have PE and art and music, they have gardening for a specials class. And so with that, I get to have each class for about half an hour each each time. And so um, one of the first projects, too, that I was assigned was put up a school greenhouse. And wow. at the time, I was like, I don't know anything about construction <laughs> and I don't know what, how to do that. <laughs> but I've learned a lot since that first, um, first month or so because we ended up got hired in August and we had the greenhouse done by November. So wow. very quick pace and figuring all that out and like figuring out who are the contractors nearby that can help me out with all this stuff and things like that. 
But um, so we put up a school greenhouse and um, we've always had a school garden. Um, one of the other first projects that we did is, you know, I invited um, ex- Iowa State University Extension and Outreach people from Humboldt County and the Pocahontas County Conservation because we're right on the county line between Humboldt and Pocahontas. So we kind of deal with them a lot, you know, both counties. Um, so we invited all of them over and we planted a bunch of fruit trees out front. So we have apple, pear, cherry trees. Um, that we all planted in this, what's now our orchard space. Oh, wow. Um, so we've done that. And then kind of from there, we realized that, like, I don't have a classroom. And so I was just, like, going to the classes and teaching the kids at that time. Um, but it was really hard for teachers to get, you know, their prep period done and get them to do what they needed to do while there were kids in their classroom. So we turned a locker room that wasn't being used anymore into what's now called the learning kitchen. So if you can imagine, almost like an FCS kitchen type setup, um, we just, you know, tore out the benches in the locker room and filled off the floor, put in new flooring, put in cabinets and countertops and stoves and um, sink and that sort of thing. So we have the learning kitchen now. And so we, because of that, we started a little chef's club. And originally I was doing that by myself, but I had like 19 kids signed up for a little chef's club. And I was like, I can't watch all these little hands by myself. Yeah. Somebody's going to cut their finger off. Yeah. That's a lot of kids. So I, it was. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up asking our school food service director, who's a good friend of mine now, um, Tiffany Thema. She helped me out with um, the little chef's club program. And she, her training was at Iowa Central Community College in the culinary program. And so I feel like it was a really good fit for us to work together with those kids. Um, and so we have little chef's club and we have a gardening club after school. Um, every other, well, it depends on the semester, but every other Monday for this semester, um, we alternate gardening club and little chef's club. And I have about 23 kids signed up for gardening club too. Wow. And we just, you know, do things out in the greenhouse or in the garden, whatever might be needed or, you know, and they help me plan for the garden this year as well. And we've been transplanting a lot of plants in the greenhouse to get ready for our plant sale this spring. Um, so you do, so we've done the plant sale now. Oh, okay. For three years. So, you, so you grow plants then the community can come and buy plants for their own homes. Yep. 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 So we do that and we try not because there is a greenhouse in the community as well, like a commercial greenhouse. Um, So we try not to grow too many things, but, you know, just saying that like, hey, your kid grew this tomato plant. Mm -hmm. Like, would you like to come by it? You know, it's cool for the community to to do that. Um, So we just grow a few things for that. And let's see. So kind of after that. You know, we kind of evolved into this monarch station, so dealing with the monarch butterfly, and we got pretty involved with that. And so um, I wrote a grant last year for to put together a monarch rearing facility, be able to grow monarchs all throughout the wintertime. So I got a grant for that last year, and we're just finishing up kind of construction on that room, and we should have butterflies in there by next fall to overwinter and grow in there all year long. Oh so that'll be pretty cool gosh, for the kids yeah. to be able to like really take care of them on their own. It's what I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, and then um, we had a couple community members that came in a couple of springs ago and they were alum of the school and they said, you know, we have all these extra grapevines that they have their own 
they grow their own grapes and sell them to the wineries around here. And they said, well, we have all these extra grapes. Would you guys like them? And I said, yes, I would. <laughs> so they helped us to install, you know, the grapevines and grape. And I think we have three varieties out there now. A few of them have died off and we've replanted them. But um, we have grapevines and we have aronia bushes that when I worked at the USDA in Ames, um, I worked with a gentleman that does research on aronia bushes in Virginia. So he shipped little baby aronia, bushy, aronia bushes through the mail and we planted those out there and we have 16 of those. So oh that's pretty cool. That's, that's all in the orchard cool. area. And uh, now I feel like it's, the school board has always been asking me ever since I started, like, why can't we have honeybees? And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about honeybees and I don't really want to run the risk of like not knowing and killing them all and having kids get hurt in the process. So, but I've been doing a lot of research since then. And so this plan is finally coming together to just pass city council approval on Monday, but to get a honey house and to get honeybees at the school. So I'm currently writing a $25,000 grant, which kind of terrifies me. It's a large grant. And so yeah. um, trying to put together all the bids for that and things right now. But yeah, that's a little bit about like the timeline about how things have gone. But any of our gardening classes, I mean, I feel like it's all student driven, you know, based on what they're learning in class and what they're interested in. So I feel like I, I very rarely taught the same lesson twice. Um, so for example, we, the kids wanted to learn about the preschool class really kind of led this one. Um, so four-year-old preschool, they were learning about clothing and textiles and that sort of thing. So we did a unit on cotton and wool and we had my friend that she does research at Iowa state. She went and got cotton seeds for us from when, when she harvested in Alabama and Texas and she sent them to us. So we're starting to grow those, trying to figure that out. Huh. Um, and then we had a local sheep producer come in with our sheep this fall, show us a couple of their sheep and kind of all the different things that can be made out of wool. And then this spring, we're hoping to take the kindergartner, um, the kindergarten class out to that sheep farm to see all the baby sheep and kind of how that's different yeah. from, you know, like, you know, these mama sheeps, sheep, the ewes, they, <laughs> they, you know, produce wool in the off season, but like right now, our main priority is to raise their babies. And how does that look different from what they learned about in the fall? So that's been kind of a full circle project that um, has been really neat. And I think the kids have, I mean, anytime that you bring livestock into the classroom, they get really excited. <laughs> anything that I would do. Breathes, <laughs> anything that breathes and moves is pretty exciting, I feel like. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. That same preschool class is and I've been doing this three years before I ever came to preschool and first grade class have always hatched out chicks in their classroom. And right now the preschool class, I don't think that they know it yet, but I've, I've put marks on a few eggs and we're hatching out our new school chickens. We've had school chickens since I started and they're just getting old. And so they need to be replaced. And so the preschool class is going to be hatching out our new school chickens to keep on the grounds. And so that's been really exciting. They're I think on day 18. So they, they have a few days left before they hatch, but they're oh, getting really fine. excited. Yeah. I was going to ask if you had chickens, if that was another project that you had going on. Yes. We, that first year that I started, um, the local bomb guards manager 
you know, got wind of our projects and what we were doing. And he asked if we wanted some of the leftover Lang chicks that they had. And I said, sure, I have to ask city council. And, you know, I asked city council and, you know, it's against the ordinance to have more than it was five chicks at the time or five hens. And so I was like, okay, well, can I get five at the school? And they eventually said, yes, it wasn't a problem. Um, and so, yeah, we've had school chickens. They also, that farm guards manager, his name was Jeremy. He came and helped the kids build a chicken tractor. The kids came up with a plan. They figured out what kind of supplies they needed and how much and how much it was going to cost um, as part of their math projects. Um, and then they put it together a few afternoons. Um, I think it took three days to finish it. And then um, they painted it and it's currently sitting at my house. It's their overwintering site. And then we converted <laughs> old gardening shed into the chicken house. And then we moved an old concession stand um, to, to be our garden shed. Um, and it's, we're hoping that we can sell produce out of that shed as well. Um, what, like when they have home baseball games and things too. Oh my gosh. So. That is such a great idea. I mean, it just, it's like all full circle. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's how we try and teach the kids. It's like, it's not just that you go through just to get the standard done and then you're done with it. Like this means more than just a standard in your book. That you have to learn this year. It's, you know, it's real life and this is how it is applied to your real life. When we're trying to make, you know, educated kids that are, you know, going to contribute to society someday. And I think that's really important for our school. Well, just like the fact that you can tie in, hey, we can tie in architecture, we can tie in math, and we can tie in, you know, mm-hmm. food. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many different aspects that you can tie into education. And I think that's amazing. Right. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks. Were you a big, we tried were you, to incorporate were you part of a of farming kind of community? Did you, I mean, do you like to garden? Do you like to grow things? Is that something that you, you enjoy? Yeah. Um, I did grow up in a farming community and another one of those 4-H things is I started to have a vegetable and a flower garden when I got a little bit older and my mom was like, yeah, you can actually do this on your own. Um, and so, you know, I did show per se so you, you have like a garden tour where the judges come out and see how well your garden is put together. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did do that, um, but I hadn't had a garden for, you know, since high school. And so it's, you know, there are some things that I've never grown before that I'm like, the kids want to try it. So we're going to figure out how to grow that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, so that's been, that's been great. I'm um, just trying to figure out, you know, like, for example, I've never grown broccoli before. And it's actually really easy to grow, I feel. And I'm like, why have, have I never tried to grow broccoli before? Um, <laughs> so one of those things that, that hard. Like, oh, yeah. Well, why not try it out and let the kids see what it's like? And then we can problem solve. And the next year we can do it a little bit better. So, yeah, I do like to garden. I like to be outside. That's really what I enjoy is I like to be outside, especially in the summertime and um, I do have a really great student leader. Her name's Lily, um, that she helps me pretty much every day in the summer. Um, and that'll be, you know, whatever time I say that we're going to meet the next day, I text her mom and I say, you know, it's going to be really hot today. I think we should be there at five thirty, and she'll be like, okay, Lily's ready to go. <laughs> oh, that's so, great. Yeah. He's so, at five thirty. <laughs> yeah. So we get there early on some days and some days, you know, if it's not going to be so hot, we go a little bit later and the daycare kids that are at the school. So we have a daycare within our school building 
And so mm-hmm. all throughout the summer, you know, those kids are in daycare. They'll come out and help sometimes too in the garden. So that's nice too, but it's always nice to get extra hands in the garden. And we have a couple of like master gardeners in the area and things that um, help too. But oh, nice. I really like yeah, to be out in the garden nice. and just to be outside. And there's just something fulfilling about getting your hands dirty and pulling weeds. And I don't know, it's just humbling and fulfilling at the same time, I feel like. And it sounds like, I mean, you're, I mean, yes, you do lots of good hands-on stuff, but applying for grants and talking to the city council and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, that is very time consuming. So how do you kind mm-hmm. of work through that? And I mean, no one probably taught you how to write a grant when you were going through school. So how did you no. navigate all that? Great question. Um, well, I feel like there's, you know, a little bit of downtime considering how Iowa winters are. Um, so sure. I like I have a little bit of downtime to be able to write grants. You know, kind of when I started, I was like, what am I going to do all winter long? Especially, you know, before I really figured out how to run the greenhouse, I was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do all winter long. And, you know, the more I got into it, I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to have a tasting cart for our school to, you know, try new things. It'd be really cool for our school to have a growing tower for our school to be able to, you know, not use so much space in the greenhouse. And so I was like, you know, um, I don't feel comfortable asking the school board for a ton of money and, you know, you know, chicken feed is one thing, a $10 bag of feed that I need once every three months, but it's something a little different when you have to ask for a $2,000 item and I don't really feel comfortable doing that. And I was like, okay, well, there's gotta be some way to get money to do these things. And that's where the grant writing really came in. And I feel like honestly, back to the 4-H thing, the 4-H projects really helped me to be able to write well. Um, just be able to write write-ups and be able to get your point across and tell the judges, you know, when your project goes to the state fair, you don't sit down in front of the judges and your your write-up has to stand alone and tell them what exactly you did and how you did it. And it really needs to show the judges that. So I feel like that really helped me in my grant writing skills was being able to write those write-ups way back in junior high and high school, um, man, 4-H has done so much for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. I think that's a common, common method or common kind of theory mm-hmm. for you right now. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just, honestly, I started with a lot smaller grants and grant writing and I was like, here are the things that they want. Here's my deadline. How early do I have to start in order to get a grant done for me personally, you know, cause I have other stuff going on too. And it's like, you know, the more I did it, the easier it got. And there are quite a few grants I applied for that I didn't get, to be quite honest. And that's okay. I mean, it doesn't hurt to apply and be told mm-hmm. no. I mean, if you didn't apply, you're always going to be told no and not get that chance to get grant money and improvements for your school or community. So, um, Do you have a I did. Do you have a comment? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. What? No, go ahead. I It cut out a little bit. What'd you say? Oh, I was just asking, like, is there a place that you find grants? Like, how do you find them for you to apply? Sure. Um, so a couple of places are really key for me. So I feel like the Iowa Ag Literacy Foundation, they post really, I guess, specific grants. So if you want to do something ag-based and teach something in the classroom related to agriculture, they have really good ones and um, for that purpose. Otherwise, um you know, there's a lot from like Team Nutrition and um, the Iowa Department of Ag. They put out quite a few. Um, but otherwise, 
I just, I'm on a bunch of different listservs and I just look through their newsletters whenever they get them. And a lot of times they'll put on their different grant opportunities and, you know, it might be something local or it might be something, you know, um, throughout the United States that like Annie's garden grant that I've applied for every year. I've never gotten it. I'm not sure why, but so like Annie's is like the organic, um, version of like crackers and that sort of thing. And they have cereals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they have a grant and for gardens and I mean, you can just literally to type into Google grants for school gardens or grants for whatever you're looking for. And a lot of them will pop up, but you do, you have to be careful when you look to that it's for that year that you're applying for, because some of them are outdated and they don't take them off their website. So I've oh, that gotcha. too. <laughs> where it's like, Oh, I started with that. And I'm like, Oh wait, that doesn't seem right. And then I I'll look and it's, you know, for the year previous or whatever it might be. So, yeah. But you said you, you were saying that you did get a certain grant that you were really proud of. Yeah. The America's Farmers Grow Rural Education Grant. It was for $10,000 last year and it was for that monarch rearing room. So we have, you know, it's like a giant incubator in that room. And so we needed heat and lighting and humidity in there and cages to grow the butterflies in. And um, I actually wrote that grant to get lights in the greenhouse so we could grow milkweed a little bit better and benches for the greenhouse too. That way we have the space to grow milkweed on. Because before that, honestly, um, what I used to grow on is I went to Dollar General and they had a few six foot tables that were somewhat broken that were on super clearance and I got those. And then the rest of them were our old school risers that they had built 40 years ago that were just, you know, they wanted something different. that was easier to move between the gym and the lunchroom for different programs. And so they took those out and they were going to put them on the curb. And I was like, I think I could use those for a few years. And I covered them with plastic and used them for two years. And I was like, okay, they had their, you know, they can only get wet so long. They're made out of wood. Um, and so, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's another thing that that goes really well with my with my program. It's like you have to be creative, you have to be innovative, and you have to, you know, kind of figure out what are things that I can use in order to get me by until something better comes along. I feel like those have been things that I really try to do. I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a little stingy with money. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't need to spend <laughs> thousands of dollars for benches i can just find something that'll work for now and um sure yeah i feel like you're resourceful you're right. very resourceful yes yes <laughs> thank you yeah so what do you kind of see i think the monarch the monarch room sounds amazing and mm -hmm. what kind of things do you kind of do you envision yourself doing this position for a long time and just keep growing it and getting new things? Mm -hmm. um, I hope so. Um, I hope that, you know, our size of our school doesn't lend itself to being consolidated um, with other school districts just because of our size. Um, but I do hope that I can continue the program and, you know, keep influencing the kids on, you know, where their food comes from and how nutritional it is, you know, the nutrients it provides to your body and things like that. I think that's really important. Um, even if I'm not in this position, I feel like Maybe community is where I'm supposed to be at, community nutrition, um, and just being able to do innovative things like this and, um, you know, just educating people on where their food comes from. I, I don't know. I don't, 
I feel like agriculture is really important in dietetics and I feel like a lot of times it's overlooked and I feel like that's maybe where I'm supposed to be at is somewhere within agriculture, um, educating people, but I hope that our school stays open, but I can't guarantee that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Sure. sure. Well, I think, I mean, you're, you're developing so many great things. So I think if you, if something did happen, there would always be, maybe there'd be another seat to table manager somewhere Mm -hmm. else that Mm -hmm. would, would be available. It doesn't sound like it's something that is, is, in places mm-hmm. that I never knew of before. Mm-hmm. I hope. So exciting. Yeah, thank you. You're so innovative. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's kind of like you've created your own kind of dietitian role mm-hmm. in, and you can just keep building upon it mm-hmm. as you find the need and your interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish, I wish more schools had the budget to put in a seat to table manager because I feel like so often whenever I go to conferences and things, people are like, well, how do you do that? are you paid by the school? And it's like, yes, I'm paid by the school. And they're like, well, where does that budget come from? I'm like, I don't know. Our school board makes it work because they know it's important. But, you know, other schools, their teachers come in throughout the summer and then they're burnt out because they're working all summer long in the garden and they have to go teach all year long. And so I feel like Mm -hmm. that doesn't work. And so I feel like you almost need a separate person, whether that's, you know, somebody in public health or a dietitian or whatever it might be, I feel like you definitely need a different person to be able to do all these things. So it's a full-time job in itself. And I can't imagine having a teacher trying to do everything that I'm doing plus each of the kids every day, you know, um, that would be really easy to get burned out on for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And having 19 kids for two hours is plenty long, I will say. So, yeah, um, kids are exhausting and especially elementary school kids like they're awful of energy and you need a way for them to rein it in. And so just coming up with ways to, you know, whether that's a call out or whatever it is to get them on task. And so, yeah, but they are exhausting. But I just hope that, you know, more kids like Lily. that I'm impacting down the road um, and that are really, yeah, really interested in what we're, we're teaching. But, you know, I feel like, like in bigger communities like Des Moines or Ames, like they have food core members that do similar things to what I'm doing, but they're, you know, volunteers through the food core. Mm-hmm. And so they're giving a stipend. I couldn't tell you how much that's for, but um, you know, they're giving a small stipend to work for the year and, um, but they're mainly volunteer based, but it, it is separate person that's teaching gardening related information and nutrition and they're taking care of the garden. So it's like, man, if we could just get food core members everywhere, that would be awesome. But it's also nice to have a paying job right. as well. <sighs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. So I, I feel like they're, I don't know. I feel like with how society is right now, just how there is more interest in seat mm-hmm. to table and there is more interest in farm to table and knowing where our Mm-hmm. from I feel like we'll see an increase in more of this type of things in all mm-hmm. communities maybe just a slow increase mm-hmm. but I don't yeah I, guess you I think we're starting too. to see that um last year the regional food system working group put together their a section off of the Iowa State University Extension and Outreach they started to put together an Iowa farm to school conference and they're expecting it to be even larger this year and it's going to be June 21st and 22nd at Central College in Pella. And I I think they're expecting like a time and a half of what they 
um, for participants that they had from last year. Um, so I think that alone speaks volumes to how much we're increasing in, in you know, efforts around the state and just nationally as well. I just got a call last week from the National Farm School Network wanting to know what I was doing. And I was like, wow, so people in Maryland are hearing of what I'm doing, and that's really cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like we're getting there. It's just taking yeah. a – it's the snowball starting at the top of the hill, and I feel like we're just gaining, gaining, gaining momentum, but it's just taking some time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you sp- do you go and speak to groups about what you're doing? Like, have you gone to different affiliates or academy uh, you groups know, I haven't to speak gone about to what like, you're doing or school um, groups? Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics groups to talk about what I'm doing necessarily, but I should. Um, but I've I've talked to so uh, my superintendent and I went and presented about my program last year at the Iowa School Board Convention. We've talked there about it. We went to the National Rural Education Symposium in Ohio last year, and we presented there about it as well. Um, And just other, I had a training recently that I put on for other schools to figure out, you know, how are you going to go about having a school garden? And, you know, we had four participants, which I was kind of like, maybe I won't have any. Um, So four was really good to start with. um, And I'm hoping that I'll have another one next winter to get people started on, you know, how do you have a school garden type, type feel. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, the more. That's awesome. You should yeah. put some proposals in or like academies. Cause I think that would be mm-hmm. a great um, topic across the United mm-hmm. States for all the state. Yeah. That would yeah, be something thank you. that you would yeah. be great for. Yeah. So, no, I should. That out thank there. you. I should do that. <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's like, ah. Got to find time for it. But yeah, I definitely should. I do think it's important to spread the news about, you know, not only here's what dietitians have been doing in the past, but here's maybe a new avenue for them to be in. I think that's really important as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and to even approach a school mm-hmm. district or even a school local that you're in a community right. of with, a, with the mm-hmm. opportunity starting something. I think that's yeah, a great definitely. place for dietitians they could be in. Okay. Very cool. Okay. I have one last question. So tell me your hours. So how do you manage like, mm-hmm. <laughs> cause you know, like you said, the winter is a mm-hmm. lot of downtime and then it definitely picks up this time of year. What are kind of yeah, your hours? Uh, what do you really good work? question. I would say that I'm supposed to work 40 hours a week. That sometimes doesn't always happen. Um, both less than and sometimes way more than. <laughs> um, so my superintendent and I have kind of come to a, an agreement that, um, you know, maybe it's this week because I had a seat to table training and I'm doing little chef's club until five some night. And I have a community event this week that like next week you can take off the amount of hours that you worked extra for the fall, you know, the previous week. Um, so I'm supposed to work 40 hours a week. I would say, no two to eight. Nice. I don't ever come in the same time or leave the same time, you know, any day during the week. Um, so like days I have little chef's club until five, you know, I, I don't come in until nine in the morning. Usually it's what I try and shoot for unless I have a bunch of other things I need to plan for. Um, but then, you know, like I went to city council on Monday and I was there until about eight. So it's like I had to take off a little bit of time this morning to accommodate for that. So, um, I'm thankful that I'm not like you have to work seven to three thirty every day. I'm thankful that that's not that way and that the school board and the superintendent are flexible that way. 
Um, and I just have to clock in. I'm paid hourly. Um, and so I think that's kind of the way it needs to be because if you had another dietitian that was trying to do all the things I was doing, I don't think you could be salary and feel like you were being tra- treated fairly for your time. I think I definitely think you need to be hourly in order to really track. Yeah. You know, I'm working XYZ hours this week and, you know, sure. that the following week. Mm-hmm. Right. To be right. Confident. Yeah. One of my professors, Lynn Campbell, yeah, um, an undergrad, she always said, you know, document your worth. I think that's really important, especially now. I'm like, not only, you know, documenting like what I've done, but documenting your time, I think is really important. And, you know, I think I saw that in my internship program a lot where a lot of people would bring a lot of stuff home and work on it at home, but they weren't compensated for that time. And I'm like, you know, those people said like, I've only been working here for five years and this was at a DHS rotation, rotation, um, working for WIC. And, you know, they said, I have only been working at this for five years, but I'm so burnt out because I'm working constantly 16 hours a day because I take my stuff home. And, you know, I think I saw that and it was like, like, why, why do that when you're only paid 40 hours a week? And sure. I do document what you're worth and, you know, get paid and compensated that time. Cause if you don't, I feel like more dietitians suffer on the hind end and not being able to say like, you know, dietitians are worth more um, and they're doing well, it. It's, not well, it's it, the so. life work balance that we have to find. Otherwise you will. <laughs> well, I, is there a place that like I can share with my guests that to see, do you have like a place mm-hmm. that social media place that we can see all the cool things that you're yeah, doing? So that we you are share with on me? Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, you can hopefully find all those by typing. Um, and there are different handles for each place. But even if you find me, you can be able to um, see where I'm on Twitter pages for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, yeah, I will put that in the show notes because I I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a follower because I'm so interested in all the things that you're doing. Yes, and I hope I hope this has an interest with some of my guests because I think it's just a really cool opportunity for a dietitian. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I have to add, ask you some hard questions. At the end of my podcast, I ask everyone these questions. So share with me some of the yes. foods that you yes. enjoy. Yeah. So those are some of my favorite foods. Let's see. Man, I really also enjoy ice cream on occasion. Yep. I'm a normal human being too that likes food as well. Absolutely. Ice cream is always good, especially the, especially after sure. working out in the greenhouse on a hot yes, summer yeah. day. I bet yep, you it's delicious. Sure. <laughs> Do you have a favorite scent or a smell? Hmm. Oh, good question. Um, I I like enjoy like fresh linen smells, like fresh cotton, like fresh laundry smells. Like you know, you hung your clothes out in the line, they smell like oh. That is the best smell. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually a company um, that we have been doing fundraisers with called J&J Candles around here. And they have some scents like fresh hay. They have Iowa and it smells like dirt. It really smells like soil. Um, yeah. And I'm like, do people actually buy that to like burn in their house? And she's like, yeah. Seriously? Um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. J&J Candles. Pretty cool. So. Right. Yeah. Pretty I don't cool think I'd buy a dirt candle, but. I'm gonna look that up. Yes. Yeah. No, probably not. But I like I like the unique sense. That's fun. Uh, do you have a favorite color or colors? I really enjoy like purples, lavenders, and 
that was actually part of my wedding colors this year was like purples and pinks and greens and whites all together something you know somewhat floral but natural at the same time I really enjoy that you got married this year too I did yeah I got married a couple months before Anne did Anne Parker oh yeah congratulations thank you thank you Uh, what brings you joy in life my dear you know um I feel like my church family really brings me joy in life. I just find so much happiness in meeting with them and talking about the gospel. And I really enjoy that. That's special. It's good that you have so many different special communities that you live within Mm -hmm. in the place that you, Mm -hmm. that's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. So much going on. I don't know how you manage it all, but (laughs) thanks. Well, you're very busy too. I mean, you're on podcasts and you're doing everything with Heidi and you're, yeah, you're very busy as well. So. We all, we always make time for the things that we love though. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's always important is, you know, make, make time for what's important to you and maybe to make less time for what's not so important. <laughs> no, that's so true. And say no to something. Yeah. You don't have to say yes to everything, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dietitians, though, we, I feel like we always say yes. We do. So, we do. We need to change yeah. that. Yeah. We do need to change We're that. definitely people pleasers. Yes. It's okay to say no every once in a while. <laughs> I 100% agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much for today's conversation. I look forward to following all the cool stuff you're doing. I hope all my guests follow you, too, because such a neat neat adventure to be on with you just through your photos yeah. and things so i appreciate that. thank you thank, thank you. you so much for having me on today yeah. i appreciate it so much Maybe we can yeah. do it again like in a year and just kind of talk about what you're doing next and all the fun things that you're doing sure that sounds like a plan yeah how cool is the seed to table manager position within a school system after doing a little research there's different positions like this all over the country I think it's a great role for registered dietitians to apply for and to be in. Kelsey is creating such outstanding programs and education at our schools. And I really highly suggest you follow her this spring and summer. The season will bring lots of creative ideas that she'll show on their uh, website and also on their Facebook. So please make sure that you go to the show notes and find those connections and sign up to follow and reach out to her if you have any questions. My website, AnnaElizabethArty.com, is where you can read my latest Embrace the Hell Yeah blog post, as well as all my previous podcasts, show notes, and links to things we talked about during all my great conversations. My book is also available to purchase on the website, and I will be featuring a new CEU component on the website soon, so stay tuned. I hope we can connect more on social media by finding me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at AnnaElizabethRD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.